What if you finally figured out how to overcome fear, anxiety, and what is holding you back so you can live life on your own terms? That's what I've done. And on this show, I share my best tips for overcoming the BS that gets in our way. We'll tackle the root of what is holding you back so you can start challenging your own limiting beliefs. We'll also talk about our mental health and why it is so important to take care of ourselves. Stop living a life full of worry, fear, and anxiety. Break the cycle and start your healing journey here. I'll teach you everything you need to know. This is the Live Less Afraid podcast. Good morning, you guys. Uh, Welcome back. (laughs) Or you could say that to me. Welcome back, Michelle. Where have you been? (laughs) Uh, It is uh, mid-January and I took a little hiatus, um, kind of unplanned. But you know what? You just have to do what you have to do for yourself. And uh, the holidays were the holidays, am I right? So um, nonetheless, I am delighted to be back with you guys. I love being here with you. I love showing up. Um, I love telling you my stories and I'm so appreciative that you show up to listen. Um, shameless plug. If you, if you know anyone that you can share this show with, please do so. I would love to see this, um, my audience grow a little bit this year and, and just share the message with more people. Uh, That really is my goal. Um, lots has happened, I think since, uh, And I didn't put this together until this very moment, you guys. My last episode was in October. And then a couple of weeks later, I lost my little dog that I've had for 16 years, you guys. I mean, besides my children, I think she's like the person, a quote person, that had been around the longest. You know, like I haven't even been married to my husband that long. So so needless to say, um, I just put that together. I think I've, you know, was just doing my thing there. That and, you know, holidays, we had a vacation. There was just a lot going on. Um, but, you know, our little fur babies, right? They just mean so much to us. And I got to tell you, she was really, I've talked about her a lot on the show. And you even could hear her, you know, clicking around on the floor with her toenails in the past episodes, if you go back and listen. <laughs> um, but she's been my rider, ride or die for so long. She, she was really, um, you know, a faithful companion to me during some really tough times in my life. Uh, a divorce, um, you know, suicide that we experienced in our life. Um, uh, really just difficult decisions. You know, uh, my kids growing up and going to college and moving out, um, my kids moving back, <laughs> Uh, my old, my, my uh, son, I think is especially, was especially close to her because he and I lived together for a while um, on our own with just the two of us and her. Um, and so, you know, I think, I know he grew really close to her during that time. Mm. And um, he also was uh, part of the great search and rescue that happened on July 4th, many years ago when she got out of the yard um, during all the fireworks. And um, he just was so sweet. He just walked the streets like for, I don't know how long looking for her everywhere, all over our neighborhood and we couldn't find her. And he was, he was so stressed because I think he knew that, um, you know, my mom wasn't going to be okay if we didn't find the dog. 
good news though, obviously we found her. She was had been picked up by some other animal lovers and we were in through the magic of Facebook, we were all reunited and everything was good. Funny little side note on that story. So this friend of mine, Kelly and her husband, Ryan, were the ones that ended up finding them. And Ryan had had little Chihuahua dogs growing up. And when they took her home, he got into bed and she, you know, being the social creature that she is, she just crawled right under the covers with him. (laughs) And he told me later, he said, you know, if you hadn't showed up, we were just going to keep her because she was just such a sweet little dog. And, um, I, I said that to anybody who would ask that, you know, she was a really different chihuahua and she always changed hearts and minds when it came to people liking little dogs or chihuahua dogs because she was just um, just a fantastic little girl. So anyway, I just realized that that might have also been part of my need to just kind of take a break. But today I am excited to be here with you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this book that I picked back up again that's been sitting on my nightstand. Um, do you guys have any of those? Do you have piles of books next to your nightstand? I do. Um, or, you know, side table, wherever it is that you like to read. If so, I'm curious, like what's sitting there? What haven't you picked up in a while that you might pick up again? Because you might want to after listening to this episode. So I picked up a book that's been sitting on my nightstand for over a year. And it's a book by Tara Moore, M-O-H-R. And it's called Playing Big. And it says practical wisdom for women who want to speak up, create, and lead. And I'm like, well, that sounds like me. Um, She has a whole leadership program around playing big. She's an expert on women's leadership and well-being and has a deep commitment to amplifying women's voices um, and empowering them to play bigger, to show up in their work and in their lives. She has an MBA from Stanford and... um, she lives out here on the West Coast in San Francisco. At least she did it when this book was written. Um, anyway, when I first picked it up, I, I went back and looked. I read almost, I read over half of it. But somewhere along the way, I just put it down and didn't pick it up again. And I picked it up last week when I was feeling, um, I was having a little pity party for myself. We all do that, right? And I was thinking, um, you know, about all the things that I hadn't done and why hadn't I done those and you know I was feeling stuck and literally like I opened the book to where my uh turned page was turned over my little bookmark and said uh, it was a story about someone feeling stuck now is that quirky or what (laughs) talk about being led around by the nose um my mom used to say that the universe is always at work for us and that you know that that we are just led around by the nose like if we just follow what is in front of us that we will be led to the places we're supposed to be led to i know it's a little woo-woo for you guys but that's what she said listen i picked up this book randomly from my nightstand opened it up and literally it says lena was feeling stuck (laughs) in this case study story that tara was talking about and that's how i was feeling in the moment no, that's quirky. That's weird, right? I'm not alone in this. So I completely think like, okay, I'm not woo-woo, but then stuff like that happens and you're like, God, maybe there is some woo-woo out here. So I am, I am woo-woo. You guys know that, but I know some of my listeners are not. So they're like, what are you talking about, Michelle? Come back down to earth. Okay. So um, anyway, I 
picked up this book again and I started reading it. And um, this section of the book is she was talking, she's talking about hiding and she gives all these examples of clients that she's worked with and they're, she calls them hiding strategies. Now I thought this was really interesting because in a lot of the work that I do, um, it's about like lovingly calling out people on where they're hiding or where they're holding back or where they're afraid to take risks and, and overcome something that's holding them back. Like that is the majority of the work that I do. And in this chapter, she literally talks about that. She's like, I'm going to call you out. And she's, is talking about all the ways that we hide um, and hold ourselves back from showing up, from playing bigger. And she calls them hiding strategies. And I thought that was super interesting. And I think that um, I'm going to read these to you. I'm going to read these, these high levels to you. And we're going to talk about them really quick because I think it will really probably trigger <laughs> You might feel a little convicted in this episode. I know that I did when I read these. I was like, oh, hell, I think these are some of these are me. So, you know, I've talked about the work that I do with my client, but I also want you guys to know that I struggle with a lot of these same issues. Okay. So the first hiding strategy she talks about is this before that. And that's the false belief that we hold that like, I'm going to do, you know, like, okay, here's one that I've struggled with in the past. Like I should become a certified coach before I start coaching, you know? Or like in her example, she's the lady wanted to teach a class, but she saw, thought she had to save enough money to, from, to hire a web designer because she needed a website and she needed to, um, you know, make this or do that or do this other thing before she could start the class. And Tara says, that's a hiding strategy, this before that. So this before that beliefs often seem obviously false, even ridiculous to outsiders, but they're very plausible to us. So when it comes to, to playing, comes to your playing bigger, are you holding an assumption that in order to do X, first you need to do Y? And do you have any evidence to back up that assumption? Is it possible you can take a more direct route? That's her summary on that hiding strategy. So I just want you to think that if you've been thinking about doing something and you told you, you're telling yourself, well, in order to do that, I have to do this other thing first. I want you to re-examine that because maybe there's a direct route. Maybe there's another way you can get there quicker. And uh, you know, I'm all about action steps. So what's one thing you could do to move along, to get to Y without doing X? Great, great strategy. Hiding strategy number two is designing at the whiteboard. Now, when I first read this one, I was like, what is she talking about designing at the whiteboard? Well, it's a Silicon Valley term. And what designing at the whiteboard means, it means without outside feedback from customers or all other relevant stakeholders. Um, so it's like kind of, you know, designing in a vacuum. Um, you know, not, not getting any outside consultation, not getting any feedback, whatever. So, and we feel like we're doing really, you know, diligent work, right? We've like, oh, look, I'm at the whiteboard. I whiteboard out my whole class. I know exactly what it's going to look like. Um, 
so that's kind of an interesting one too that even you know sometimes you might have an idea about how a change is supposed to be made but we need outside input some you know so this is how you know that can um i, I want to say we need to test our creation and ideas with those we want to reach it can evoke both fear and excitement the of playing bigger right now um, but you have to gather feedback and you have to know what steps to take. And per, perhaps I think the most important feeling, um, was a renewed sense of commitment of taking the project forward because it's great to have a whiteboard idea. It's great. I mean, we all should do that, right? If, if whatever idea we're thinking about creating or doing or business we're thinking about starting. Yes. Obviously we started the whiteboard to write down our ideas and our thoughts and, you know, maybe we do a SWOT analysis of strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats that we might face, but then we need to show it to somebody else. We need a mentor, we need an advisor, we need an accountability group. Someone can say, okay, listen, this is what I'm thinking. Is this a good idea? What do you think? What am I missing? What am I not seeing? Like literally I did this exercise yesterday with a, a friend who's in my accountability group. Another, I said, hey, I've got this idea and here's what I put together. And she took one look at it and she instantly gave me like, I don't know, five pieces of feedback that were all really, really good stuff. And she was like, even found like a typo in one of my, in my flyer I had, and, um, you know, gave me some formatting tips on a couple of other things. And like, literally I would not even have seen that typo if it hadn't been for her. And I'll tell you why, because sometimes like when you're at the whiteboard and you're making your own decision about something, like you're in this bubble, in this vacuum, and, you know, we need that outside input. And I want to, I want to relate that to you, even from like your growth and personal growth journey. Like, that's why I think accountability groups are so good or master classes are so good. Um, any of those kind of things where you can get in with other people or you can get that outside feedback. We all need that. Okay. That was hiding strategy. Number two, don't design at a whiteboard. Number three, hiding strategy number three, how we hide, is overcomplicating and endless polishing. Ooh, anybody feeling a little convicted here? So this is where, like, okay, I've designed my class, I've gotten my feedback, but I'm like, oh, I think I still think I need to do this. And or I think, oh, on my website, I'm not going to really publish it until I can put live videos up there. Or I'm not going to publish it until I get my store put up. Um so, you know, she gives examples here of how you can fall into the habit. Um, think about products that you love. Think about a thriving business. Think about writers you admire who've um, written successful and impactful books. They have one simple thesis. Simple can be more than enough because so many brilliant women and men are used to overperforming in order to be seen as equally capable. This can be hard for us to believe. Endless polishing, a cousin to overcomplicating, is getting stuck in a so-called improving each element of a creation before putting it out into the world. Endless revising of the essay, more research to back up the speech, more revision of the design, and so on. I mean, we obviously want to put out work of high quality. And we do have to be rigorous about distinguishing what our commitment to quality is or when our commitment to quality is just a fancy cover for our fears. 
Our good student conditioning tells us that the more perfected something is in our own eyes, <laughs> quote, the better. Plus, we might have gotten used to trying to perfect everything before anyone sees it. And that, that may have been effective in other circumstances, but when it comes to playing bigger, sometimes getting it done is more important than polishing. And that's that thing that Gabby Heller always goes back to is done is better than perfect, right? And I'm an overcoming perfectionist. I know many of you are too. Sometimes we just need to pull the trigger and get the dang thing out there. It's not going to be perfect. It's just an iteration. It's not like you can't go back and change it later, right? Or improve it or do something else. But the point is getting it done <laughs> and the hiding strategy of continuing to refine something and review it and, you know, polish it before we get it out there is just that it's a, it's a hiding strategy. So, um, she says, how do you know when your revisions or additions are really important and when they are not worth your time? Um, this is where feedback can come in again. You need to hear from, you know, people that you know and trust, um, you know, letting your inner critic decide that's never a good idea. Um, it's possible the simple version, the existing version is already good enough, at least good enough to take it beyond the whiteboard idea, right? So be careful about that hiding strategy too, about overpolishing. Uh, number four, is collecting and curating everyone else's ideas. And I thought this was interesting too, because I like to do research and I like to find out what other people are doing and you know what the what the data says. Um, and often I find really good ideas there too. So uh, her example here is um, someone she knew was thinking about working on a really kind of complex topic that she knew a lot around, a lot about. And she said that her next steps were to interview people in her field about the topic and put together a project based on their perspectives. And Tara's like, well, I think that your perspective is what's most interesting about this because she really did know a lot about this complex topic. So, so often brilliant people, um, our ideas, we, um, feature other people's ideas to sidestep claiming our own thoughts and leadership. Turning outward to gather the voices is often a fear-based but good-looking escape from taking the simple and scary step of sharing one's own voice now. I'm going to read that again. Turning outward to gather the voices is a fear-based but good-looking escape from taking the simple, scary step of showing one's own voice now. So that's hiding strategy number four, collecting and curating everyone else's ideas because it's a way for us to not speak up and own our own voice and our own story. So just be cautious about that one too. Hiding strategy number five is omitting your own story. Now, there's an unexpected connection, connection between staying right-sized and playing big. Playing big often comes from standing within our own story. Mundane as it might seem to us, ironically, playing small often shows up in projects that look big and ambitious as it did for the author with her own work. Because in all the bigness, there's lots of room to hide from personal visibility, from saying what one really has to say. 
And she gives an example here about, you know, overlooking the importance of our own story and downplaying it even. And I'm reminded of um, Kyle. <laughs> uh, he's a maker and I had him on as a guest and he talked about that um, in comparison, like that he said he compared himself a lot to his brother as his brother is, is a creative, um, but Kyle is too and in his own way. But he said it for a long time, he compared himself to what his brother was doing instead of just trying to find his own lane. And his story and his lane and his ideas are fantastic and they're all his own and um, they're meaningful and they're creative. So I just think that it, we have to be careful not to admit our own story and, and realize, you know, what a, a fantastic stories are is and where, where our lessons are and where we can um, and share uh, our gifts with the world. All right. Um, hiding strategy number six. Getting more and more and more education. I need the degree. <laughs> I know people like this. They're like, I need to take this class first. I need to become certified. I need to, you know, um, I need to like write the book first. I need to, you know, fill in the blank, whatever that is that you think you, I need to, to be educated, um, you know. And what Tara says in this section is, like, what about what you already know? If you have an education-seeking habit, it's okay. Like, I like to learn. I would call myself a lifelong student. I love learning. Most of us got the message from the basic model of school itself that the value we bring to the world comes from what we just learned from a book or a teacher rather than from what we already know or our own life's experiences. And it's no wonder we want to bring something into the world. Our, our reflex is to look outward for the next kind of education to prepare us to do so. The school environment is appealing, safe harbor for the parts of us that fear stepping into playing bigger. Excessive education allows us to put off the scary work of stepping into our roles as leaders, creators, and change agents, while all the while convincing us it is actually preparing us for the, us to step into those roles. So her point there is share what you already know. We already know a lot. <laughs> we already have a lot of experience to draw from. And while education is a great thing and I do support it and I, I do enjoy learning, I don't want that to stop me from stepping into my story and sharing what I already know. Okay. So I thought that those hiding strategies were fascinating. Uh, I thought it was, um, you know, an interesting look at some of the things that I might be doing that are holding me up from playing bigger, from showing up, from serving. And I'm curious if you felt that way about any of those. If you found any um, moments of where you were like, oh, that might be me. So the point of this is not to judge. The point of this is just to recognize what it is, where it is we are at and how we might um, you know, sidestep some of those hiding strategies. 
So I'm looking forward to reading more about this, reading more the rest of this book and, and doing some of the exercises that are in it. Um, if you want to know more about it, I'll put a link in the show notes to that book. Uh, it is really focused on women, like that is her audience. And so, but, you know, don't be deterred by that if you're um, a man listening to this uh, episode. And I think this book could be good for you too. Um, she just has a lot of great strategies about how to show up. And I think that's something we all struggle with, right? Like I just was talking to someone the other, other day about imposter syndrome again, like, and no matter how much time goes by, like, even if you talk to, you know, really big people, it really, you know, uh, popular people, famous people, even they struggle with imposter syndrome. I think it's just something, you know, in our, in our psyche, in our, in our ego, um, that, you know, makes us think that inner critic comes out and it's like, who do you think you are? You know, <laughs> or, or even, you know, even worse things that our critics can, inner critic can say to us. And I think we need to temper that. We need to be aware of that. We're supposed to show up here. We're supposed to share our gifts. Um, I totally got convicted yesterday. <laughs> my, uh, my mentor, my friend said to me, you're being selfish. Stop holding on to your gifts. And I'm going to say that to all of you listening today. You're being selfish. Stop holding on to your gifts. You're meant to share them with the world. Go and do that. That's what's important. And that's what I'm going to leave you with today. Have a wonderful weekend. Hey, that's all for now, but come back soon. Did today's episode spark some new thoughts for you? If it did, subscribe and leave a review. If you want to learn more about overcoming fear and anxiety, head over to livelessafraid.com and check out all the episodes and find out more about what I do. If you're curious about what working with a coach is like, let's schedule a Zoom and I'll tell you all about it. Are you looking for encouragement? Then come over to my community group. It's the Live Less Afraid community group on Facebook. The link is waiting for you on my website. Thanks so much for listening. I so appreciate each and every one of you.